So let, why don't we pray uh, for our time. Father in heaven, we come before you. So sweet to come in the morning. What a privilege we have to see saints, folks who trust in you, believe in you, love your word. Father, because we treasure the Savior. This is not stories or myths or legends to us. There was a star. There were magi. There was a Messiah who was born. He came with a mission to save us. And so we pray this morning, would you help us? Help us to understand, help us to see the glory and the majesty and may our hearts well up with gratitude and worship this morning. It's just, we're just thankful to be able to pause and think of the Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would we mind closing that door just so that we can... Uh, I know I know that we might be distracted visually, but maybe we could stem the distraction audibly, right? Let's pray. Uh, let's look through Jesus through the prophets. In Luke chapter 24, if you recall, the verse that we were looking at in verse 44, I'll just read it for you this morning. He says, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And you notice here, we, we recall in Luke chapter 24 that Jesus says that all of the Old Testament, and he, he divides the scriptures into three different portions, the law of Moses, which we have taken two weeks, that would be the Pentateuch. We took two weeks of that and the prophets and the Psalms. So now, this week, we're going to take a look at the prophets. Now, some view the first coming of the Messiah as a, as a fairy tale, as a myth, on par with Santa Claus and the elves and the North Pole and reindeer. But the coming of the Messiah, which is... Christmas is simply that. It's another story, they think, in which to manipulate children into good behavior. That's what they might say. But Christmas, that is the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, is not an afterthought, not a myth, not a fairy tale. For Christians, it is not God's plan B. Oh, oh, now mankind is uh, now in sin, what do I do? Maybe God might be asking that question. No, it's not like that. But the coming of the Messiah was not an accident, and it has always been the plan and purpose of God to send His Son to live, to die, to, to resurrect, to ascend for you. In fact, to trace His love's design... He has given us the prophets to tell of his love for his people that was planned and that which cannot be thwarted. So this next section, we're going to take a look at the prophets. And these prophecies are given to you, saint, so that your heart would be filled with gratitude and with worship 
to God for keeping his promises and sending the Messiah. Simply that we would be filled with gratitude and worship. Gratitude because of the great gift he's given us in his son. Worship because of all the plans that have ever been planned and executed. There is none that can, th- that can thwart the Messiah. And he's done so all throughout human history while mankind has been living his life. Now, if you've been with us these past few Sundays, you know we've had, we have been going through the law of Moses, which is the Pentateuch, and now we move to the prophets in the Old Testament. Can you believe it? There are over 350 prophecies of Jesus. 350. Can we get that on the screen? I'm going to move over here. And he's going to expand it, right? And I just want to go ahead and expand this first page. And can you go to page one, Carlo? Go to page one. Or do we have a page one? You just did this, right? Okay, there. Okay, so go ahead and expand this, can you? Oh, you can't see it. Okay, there. So here, we talked about, you remember in the Pentateuch. I just want to let you know, there's 351, actually, 351 prophecies of Christ. Oh, I, I kicked it, didn't I? <laughs> oh, we recall Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, and then the, he will bruise Satan's head. The bodily ascension to heaven is illustrated. The body of Shem and the son of Shem. The seed of Abraham will bless all nations. The promise made to Abraham's seed. A priest after the order of Melchizedek. We talked about that when we went through the book of Hebrews. He's the king of peace of righteousness. The last supper is foreshadowed. Seed of Isaac. The lamb of God promised. Keep going. Car, can you just go ahead? And, yeah, and we have numbers in Deuteronomy. Here's in Leviticus. The spiritual rock of Israel. Suffering outside the camp. The blood, the life of flesh, the blood that makes atonement, the drink offering, if any man thirsts. And then we move to Deuteronomy. Um, Whom you have believed Moses, you have believed me. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. We could keep going on and on. Keep going. We're going to skip the Psalms. Go ahead and skip the Psalms. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. We're going to talk about the Psalms next week, but keep going. Okay, here, go ahead and expand this. And then move to the right. Notice all of these of Isaiah, what we're going to take a look at here. Isaiah 7, to be Emmanuel, God with us. He will be called Emmanuel. His ministry is to begin in Galilee. He's the son of God, given deity. He is the counselor, Yats, the mighty God. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Keep going. Uh, And then go ahead into Isaiah chapter 12. He is called Yeshua. He's the one to whom all authority has been given. And as we go to, just go ahead and keep going, son. The uh, next page. And then next page, this is all Isaiah. Of course, we see 53, where he's going to be cursed. And then we have Joel, and Jonah, and Micah, and Haggai, that he would visit the second temple, and Zechariah, that he would be held as king, that the Messiah would be humble, that he would come in Zechariah riding on a donkey. Go ahead into the next page. Here, in Zechariah, notice 
that the Messiah would be God in Zechariah chapter 11, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Again, that the 30 pieces of silver would be thrown on the floor. All of this was prophesied. Keep going. He would die a violent death. He, there would be a messenger to prepare the way for the Messiah. That would be John the Baptist. Keep going. That forewarner would be with the spirit of Elijah. That is John the Baptist. And in Malachi, the last book before the, of the Old Testament, that the forerunner would turn many to righteousness. Now there's 300. Does anyone want these? We could text, we could email this to you. 351. Dre wants it, okay? Um, can you write down all the names of people who want it? Atharina wants it. Dre wants it. We could email that to you. Mike wants it as well, okay? I just wanted to show that to you. Um, if I were to make a sermon, yeah, you could go ahead. If I were to make a sermon of 351 prophecies, that I would have 351 points. And we'll be here till Christmas, right? Um, the prophetic books, of course, they're divided into two big sections. One is the major, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And the others are the minor. We call them major not because they're more important than the minor, but simply because they're bigger. The minor prophets, those are the 12 books of the Bible. They call them the big, uh, they call them the, the 12. That would be Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We have a uh, uh, chief resident expert on the minor prophets that would be Manny over there he taught on them um, on the minor prophets but I wanted to share that slide to you to, to know that there's so much of the promises of God to his people and just as a cursory view while there is much value in a deep study of all the faithful word of Christ we're just going to look at three is that okay we'll look at three and, and they're all going to be in Isaiah. And believe it or not, many theologians call it the Emmanuel Trilogy. Can you believe that? Uh, Dre was teaching at, in Koa last Friday. And he said, there's prequels of Star Wars and stuff. This is the Emmanuel Trilogy. I didn't make it up. Okay. But the Emmanuel Trilogy. So... <clears throat> They, these just talk about three distinctives of the Messiah promised and fulfilled and waiting to be fulfilled. And our prayer again is that your heart will be filled with gratitude and worship to God for keeping his promises to send the Messiah, to send Jesus. So first we have to go to one of the most important verses that would be Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. This is the birth of the Messiah. So would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time. This is just to signify his humble upbringing. He just ate normal, simple food, 
just like us, you and me, right? He knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. He will grow in wisdom and stature. We see that in Luke. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaking. And so the background is this. Ahaz, who is king of, of Judah, in the line of David, desired to continue his rule and have a future for Judah. There was a plot to overthrow him, but because of God's promise to David, who was his ancestor, stemming from, if you recall, notice his promise to Ahaz was actually a promise given, stemming from his promise to David, which was stemming from God's promise to Jacob, which was stemming from God's promise to Isaac, which was stemming from God's promise to Abraham, which was stemming from God's promise to Noah, you remember the line of Shem, which was stemming from God's promise to Adam that God would continue the line of David. He will have a Messiah who would crush the serpent's head, although he would bruise his heel. It's the continuous story. And all Ahaz had to do, all he had to do was believe God. But sadly, he chose to make political alliances with a pagan nation. Tiglath Pileazar, he was the king of uh, Assyria at that time. Rather than to trust in God, notice in verse 10, <laughs> God is declaring his faithfulness through the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz. And he says, then the Lord spoke to Ahaz, says, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So God himself is saying, go ahead, test me. God is saying this to Ahaz. I will fulfill my promise about your line continuing on forever. Because the throne of David will go on forever and ever. And Ahaz says, eh, you don't have to do that. And you notice he hides it in religious hypocrisy and in piety. And oftentimes people do. Oh God, you don't, you don't have to do this. I will earn my own salvation. Or I don't have to do this because... Uh, and then they create their own kind of hypocrisy. And so Ahaz is saying, you don't have to do that. And what happens is, <coughs> through the prophet Isaiah, he says, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? And what he's saying is this. I said I would be faithful that I would love you. And now you're not telling me. And you, now you're not believing me. Then so God himself says, you're not going to pick a sign? He goes, fine, I'll pick a sign. I'll pick the sign. And he says, therefore, this famous verse, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and bear him a son. Now we know that this verse here, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. Actually, this, this word virgin, alma, in uh, liberal theology has been attacked. They have said that because the word lexically means, and, and it's rightly so, it couldn't it doesn't have to be virgin. That's part of the lexical range. That's part of the range of meanings that it can have, alma. But it also has, uh, it also could mean simply a woman of marriageable age. A woman of marriageable age. 
And so they say, see, this is simply a person, a, a lady who has a baby and is the Emmanuel. Now, back in the Old Testament, we know that this is not true. Back in the Old Testament, even before the time of Christ, the Greek translators, I think it was the Septuagint, decided on translating that word into virgin itself. Even though they know a woman of marriageable age is also in the lexical range. They chose virgin as a woman who has never had sexual relations. Parthenos, which is in the Greek. They translated it before the coming of Christ. It's interesting. They translated it as virgin before the coming of Christ. And because of the reason why is, if you look at the text, he says, behold, a virgin will be with child. If you translate that to, behold, a woman of marriageable age will be with child. What is the sign of that? What is the significance of that? What is the design of that? It doesn't show any of the sign or the significance or the sign at all. In fact, what it says simply, <coughs> in fact, what it says simply, uh, it doesn't show that it's anything miraculous. Because an unmarried woman who was immoral, if she was immoral, was so common that it could not be a sign. And yet you remember in Luke chapter 134, Mary believed that this, Mary believed when the angel talked to her, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Not a woman of marriageable, marriageable age, but a virgin. And so Mary's statement becomes unintelligible unless the, unless the chosen translation is virgin itself. But we know this to come in Matthew chapter 1. So keep your, keep your finger in Isaiah and go to Matthew chapter 1. It's very clear that Matthew believed that Isaiah was talking about the Messiah and a specific miraculous birth. Notice he says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says to Mary. The child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name, Jesus, Yeshua, means God saves. For, I love this line, he will save his people from their sins. There's a definiteness to that. There's not a possibility. It's not a plan. It's actually an executed design of his will. He will save his plan from their people. Now all of this took place to what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Which prophet? Isaiah and Matthew quotes, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall, be a, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And we know this to be the case, brothers and sisters, that even as Isaiah was written 700 years before, and even as Ahaz was given the sign that there would be a virgin 
that that would be the sign. That would be the person you would know. That would be the person to trust in. That the storyline, that way, be, way beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when we were created to glorify him, man was created to glorify him. And we switch to Genesis chapter 3, that man in his sin fell and was cursed forever. And at that moment, God himself gave a blessing, gave grace to point that there would be one to come. And all through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all through the covenants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, (coughs) all through the covenants of it coming. And now we look into the prophets now of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and all the minor prophets. And here, Isaiah is saying that this was the sign, the sign so that you would know the one who would bruise the head of the serpent. This one... There is silence between Malachi and Matthew. Hundreds of years of silence between them. No more prophetic, no more prophet, no more word of God coming. Only the promises of God. And perhaps maybe folks would say, maybe God is not faithful because he's delaying. And in Matthew chapter 1 as if the sun was breaking out in the darkness. You know, sometimes we take road trips where we're driving at night. Uh, I think the, uh, when we go to summer camp, the kids like it because we, we leave early in the morning. And when we come over the hill on the grapevine, that's where we usually at the grapevine, that's when we start to see the sun come out. And when that sun comes out, that's where we know it's a new morning. And that's what happens with the Messiah. Matthew comes with this bright (coughs) sun revealing now all the promises that was given for the past 1800 years. All of those promises now. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so with that, he's saying here is the seal. Here is the completion. Here is the promise that now this Jesus Christ The Messiah that was promised was given for you. And so with that in mind, God asks, if you were here and you don't know him, oh, we love you. We're so glad that you're here. But God has been telling you through the word of God, through the preaching of the word of God, through your mom and dad, through your friends who's been telling you over and over and over and over again, there is one who is coming. There is one who is coming. And now he has come, and that's who we worship. Now the question is, do you trust in this Messiah that everyone has been talking about? That the 66 books and the 40 writers, everyone has been talking about him. And that's all we could do but sing to him. And so now, we want to draw you, by God's grace, hopefully this would draw you to gratitude (coughs) and to worship of the Messiah. By first, speaking about the birth of the Messiah. And now secondly, the ministry of the Messiah. So let's turn to the second portion of the Emmanuel trilogy That is in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. 
And we're going to talk about the ministry of the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 1 through 16. I was given a lot of help by some commentaries. Verses 1 to 16. We're going to take a look first. There's several aspects of the ministry, of the work of the Messiah. By the way, the Messiah means the anointed one. First, his ancestry. Notice, he says in verse 1 of chapter 11, verse 1, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. We, we look at that verse and we go, oh, okay, that's cool. Continue on. Oh, I like the spirit of the Lord will rest, the spirit of wisdom. We take a look. We look at, this is actually a statement of his ancestry. He says, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Notice. I like it in the spring. In, in the wintertime, my trees, uh, Faith has been in my garden and Jacob's been in my garden. But in the wintertime, it looks pretty sorry because all the leaves go down of some of my annuals. But I love it in the springtime because we have, we have this one tree that just looks completely dead. Every single year, it looks completely dead. It looks like a twig looking that, like this. It's a little vegetable plant that we have. But we know in the spring it changes. Because what happens is in the spring as it warms up, from that branch, another branch stems through, right? But it's all from the same tree, you, you understand. And so what, what Isaiah is saying is that, <coughs> that a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Now, we have to understand, who is Jesse? Does anyone remember who Jesse is? Well, Jesse, if you recall... In the book of Samuel, Samuel knew that there would be a son that he would anoint who would be king. Jesse is the father of David. So what this is saying is that there would be a shoot from the stem of Jesse. From that original tree, if we were going to say. There is going to be a shoot. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. And basically what we know from prophetic history now, because we look back into the Old Testament, we know that Christ comes from the shoot that sprang from Jesse. What's interesting too is the word branch in the Hebrew is the word nezer, which very likely Matthew believed that the Messiah would be of nezer or would be of Nazareth would be the Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. So what Matthew was looking back into these texts and says, and he goes, this is the one. The one who stems from Jesse. The promised one. The specific one. Not just any guy. This is how we would know and identify who the Messiah would be. We notice his anointing and we know what the anointing is in verse (laughs) 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. 
A spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, his anointing. We know that the Messiah means his anointing, but that the Greek translation of that is Christ. And the anointing simply means the choosing of the person for a special office, for a special job. And so Jesus was anointed and his anointing and often is in the same illustration of the Spirit. That's why you see a lot of allusions of the Spirit and oil. The Spirit and oil because the oil was used to anoint and to mark the person who was chosen. And so the anointing of this Messiah would be that the Spirit of the Lord would rest on him. That he would have wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength. And we, knew that, we know that from the Gospels itself that Christ was filled with power and wisdom and strength. The Bible that he grew in wisdom and stature. Well, the Bible says that when his parents accidentally left him because they thought he was in the caravan. You ever leave a kid in the grocery? You have to turn around? Embarrassing. And Jesus, and they looked and they looked and they said, why? Why did you do that, Jesus? Where, why, why did you leave us? And he goes, I, I was in my what? My father's house. And the folks there, we already know, were amazed. Why? Because he had the spirit of wisdom, of understanding. He was mighty in scripture. He could understand what was happening. He would look at you and talk to you and ask you questions. And he knew exactly what verse to say. Sometimes I'm not like that. I'll talk to somebody and I, I, I'll be caught in mouth. I wish I know what to say. I, I stumble. Maybe I'll look at my concordance. But he, no, he was mighty in the scriptures. He would speak and as he would speak, a lot of these religious folks who memorized the scriptures would try and stump him. And he was mighty in the scriptures and the Bible always says, and we never heard anyone speak with such authority. The spirit of the Lord was on him. That's how you'll know. Amen. His administration. Verse 3. <laughs> He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor. And decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be about the belt of his loins. And faithfulness the belt of his waist. His reign will be just and righteous as he defends the helpless and defeats the wicked. And we know this, that part of this is in his first advent and part of this is in his second advent. We know that he did delight in the fear of the Lord. We know that he offered salvation to those who would usually be passed by. That's what the beatitude is about. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those, the peacemakers. Blessed are, over and over again, this would be the righteous king. The holy king. The one who makes the right decisions. The one who has all the right information. The one who would defend the helpless. Who would defeat the wicked. And we know that ultimately that would happen. Ultimately he would do that in holiness and righteousness and completion in the millennial kingdom. We look at his accomplishments. The Messiah's accomplishments. <laughs> in verses 6 through 9. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. 
The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all <coughs> my holy mountain. <coughs> For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. His accomplishments. Notice that the Messiah will universally, and we know this is pointing towards his millennial kingdom, he will universally bring peace within mankind. First, peace within mankind. A real peace where people actually love each other. Not a fake peace where there is seething anger and hostility in between them. This is a real peace that only Christ himself can bring. This is why he's the prince of peace. And a harmonious relationship with all animals. A harmonious relationship with all animals. Notice the wolf and will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. There will be a different from what we have seen from the fall of man and the fall of the planet and the fall of the universe, now we see that there will be a harmonious relationship actually between man and animals. Next, you see that all the nations will gather together to him. Notice in verse 10, then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. Again, an allusion to his, actually a direct reference to his heritage, to his ancestry who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. Verse 12a, gather the outcasts of Israel all over the world and restore them to the Lamb. Um, he will set up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And we believe there will be a future gathering of Israel Next, he will gather the outcasts of Israel all over the world and restore them to the land. Just a, a little bit more of a reference to that. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand. The remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, and Hamath. From the islands of the sea, he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel. And will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart and those who harass Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah and Judah will not harass Ephraim. And they will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines. And so what God is saying here is what we believe is that the Messiah will come again and reign on earth and he will gather his, his uh, remnant from Israel back to the Holy Land to complete the promise that he said to Abraham that he would give a land, a seed, and a blessing. And next, he will build a highway of peace from the Red Sea to the Euphrates. We know that from verse 15 and 16. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and he will wave his hand 
over the river with his scorching wind, and he will strike it into seven streams. <coughs> and make men walk over a dry shod. And there will be a highway from Assyria, for the remnant of the people will be left. Just as there was for Israel in the day that they came out of the land of Egypt. And so, brothers and sisters, as we continue, to this, I pray that this would draw you into further gratitude and further worship. First, to think about this miraculous conception and birth of the Messiah. Second, to think of the, the ministry of the Messiah. And third, to think of the character of the Messiah. And we'll look at that in Isaiah chapter 9. So would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We could continue with 349 more. They're so rich of the blessings and the promises. Your faith is in good hands, brothers and sisters. It's in Christ himself. It's on solid rock. We not only have the Moses' law, but we have the prophets. And then next week we're going to see in the Psalms. So Isaiah chapter 9 before we look at 6 and 7, which is the famous verse that everyone puts on their Christmas cards, right? Look at verses 1 to 3. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. On the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Okay, so I want you to hold your hand there, and we're going to look at Matthew again. And we're going to see that Matthew clearly did understand that what was prophesied in Isaiah was actually Jesus who he followed, okay? Notice in Matthew chapter 4, you'll see, see this clear distinction. Matthew chapter 4, in verse 14, excuse me, 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken in custody, he withdrew into Galilee <laughs> and leaving Nazareth, remember Nazareth, he came and saddled, settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. Look at verse 14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Basically he's saying, those who are in sin, in the darkness of their sin... In their ignorance and their immorality. They're sitting in darkness until the light came. Those were sitting in the land and upon the shadow of death. That's what sin brings. Upon them a light dawned. And back to Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in dark land. The light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nations. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad. Why? Because their sins will now be exposed. And they would be forgiven. As they confess and repent to Christ. 
And so we know Matthew believes this is, this is exactly the Messiah. This is exactly the Christ. And so we go to verse 6. <laughs> now notice, verse 6, it's very clear. He says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. We know that chapter 9, verse 6 is another, a repetition of chapter 7 of his birth. There will be a sign. A woman, a virgin will be with child, right? <laughs> but what's interesting is we often say this phrase, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. We often say this phrase without really thinking of its implications. This phrase in itself actually speaks to the hypostatic union, the glory of Christ himself. The uniqueness of his person. Notice he says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Yes, it is true, the child was born to us. That which had human nature was born to us. Matthew chapter 1 says it, Luke chapter 1 says it. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and he took on a full nature. God in the flesh. That's what Christmas is. He put on a full nature so that he could feel the full realm of Christ. He could feel the full realm of what humanity is. In his humanity, he felt our suffering. He felt our temptation. He felt our heartbreak. He felt betrayal. He felt all of these things. Why? Because he needed to feel all these things to redeem a people of these things. A child will be born to us. He was born in a manger for you and for me. But it's different. The next phrase of it is different. A son will be given to us. The child was born human nature, but the son was given because the son always existed. The Son existed from before time. The Son existed whose ancient goings, for, goings back and forth are from ancient times, says the prophets. Born to us was precisely fulfilled in humanity. Human being, male conceived by the Holy Spirit. A Son given. The Son was not created, but the Son was given. Jesus always said He was from above and not below, did He not? Didn't he say, what, didn't he say this, that before Abraham was, I am. And didn't he say, that I am not from below, but I am from above. <laughs> the son was given to us. Now it's going to describe this Messiah. The government will rest on his shoulders, simply meaning he will rule with equity and justice. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We looked at this in crew. Brother Ty did a great job in expositing this. Expositing this. I'll just briefly make a few comments. You got to come to youth group. No, I'm just kidding. I'll just make a few comments. Wonderful Counselor. He is the wonder of a counselor is what it means. He is the counselor with unfathomable wisdom and knowledge, what we already talked about. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and knowledge. 
He's a wonderful wonder of a counselor. He's extraordinary. His wisdom is humanly incomprehensible. When you don't know what to do, when you are lost, he knows exactly what you need to do, what you need to believe, where you need to place your trust. Not these, not these off people who think they know all about life with their weird quotes and their pictures in the gym of Instagram. And they say things and they don't know what they're talking about. Your Christ is a wonderful counselor. Don't forsake him, brothers and sisters. Don't forsake his word. His way is always right. I have, oh, I have never regretted following what he said in his word. I'll tell you that. By God's grace, I never regret it. I always regretted it when I didn't. When I didn't trust him at his word. His ways are right. His ways are true. His ways are the way we ought to follow. <laughs> he is a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. This speaks of his divine nature and his assured victory over all enemies. Literally, the God who is the defender, the guardian. He is the defender of the church. He is the defender of you. When Satan himself, the accuser, would accuse you, why is this person called a child of God? Christ himself stands between you and the wrath of God and says, I defend this one as the intermediary. He's the eternal father. Really, what this means is the father of eternity. He's not speaking in, of a father in relation to the Trinity. We know that the son is eternally the son. The son has always been the son. The son will always be the son. The Trinity has not changed, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What this speaks of is, is his deity, his eternality. This is not speaking in relation to the Trinity, but rather to his relation to, the, to eternity, his relation to time itself. He is the master of time. He is the creator of time. He owns time. He divides time to B.C. and A.D., all time is divided from when he came to this earth and died and resurrected. He is the Prince of Peace. The Messiah's rule will be characterized by and produce peace. He's the Prince, not the Son here. This speaks of someone who is of royal position and power to administrate this peace. It's a superlative expression that God is the absolute ruler and his son administrates this rule. And the manner of that rule is peace. Oh, don't we just want that? Don't you just want peace? Love. Harmony. Shalom. Kindness to characterize 
all your relationships. God says in Christ we can have that as the Prince of Peace. There will be no end again, speaking of the Messiah, to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is the birth and the ministry and the character of your God, your Messiah, your Lord, your Jesus. This is your Christ. May you go home and be filled with gratitude and worship for this Messiah who was given for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for the Messiah. Thank you for his goodness. Thank you for his kindness. Thank you for not leaving us in the land in darkness. Each of us have a, has a story of when you met us. It could have been here, some other place, at school, in our rooms. We were suffering in the dark, in the ignorance and immorality of our own sin. And you became that light. We start, started to finally see the light that comes into darkness. You are our star. You are our savior. You are our redeemer. We love you and praise you. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.